0: Cindy, I invite you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, for those of you that are here regularly, you're thinking, he just might make it after all. We've got two more Sundays and two more chapters after this Sunday, we're going to make it. One way or the other, we're getting through the book of Revelation. For you, those of you that are here the first Sunday, I mean this is your first Sunday at the chapel this summer, uh, the sermons are available online if you want to uh, go to iTunes and just put in Garden City Chapel and you're able to listen to them if you'd like to do that. Um, I want to recap just a little bit to get us to our passage of today which I've entitled The Earthly Kingdom. John, John is uh, on the island of Patmos. He has this vision where he sees Jesus and that's not all. He sees a lot but he's told to write down everything he sees and we've seen him write letters to the seven churches he has seen the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth who is alive. He has seen God seated on his throne. He's seen the elders around the throne. He's seen the saints of those who were uh, martyred for their faith under the altar. He has seen the, the scroll that had seven seals. And as those seven seals are broken, he's, you've seen the uh, calamity that hits the earth from the seals and then the trumpets. And then finally those bowls that were just poured out horrible horrible plagues upon the earth then last week we ended with that great battle of Armageddon and if you weren't here let me tell you you hear a lot about the battle of Armageddon and uh, the battle lasted about that long because when Jesus comes on the white horse he has a weapon and the weapon is the word of God this sword that proceeds from his mouth and it talks about the heavenly host that is with him also on white horses, none of them have weapons. Why? Because they don't need them. Jesus alone comes and conquers. So this mass of enemies of God that have assembled together from at that time the four corners of the earth, and we're going to see that again today, that that description again today. They've come for this great battle, and uh they're disappointed in more ways than one. They're disappointed because the battle doesn't last very long. They're also disappointed because they're on the wrong side and they lose. So then we come to today's passage, this chapter 20. And I want you to watch for three distinct theological words in this passage. In fact, the words aren't necessarily in the passage, but the concepts are, and I want to draw your attention to them, but three particular words. And the words are justice, mercy, and grace. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say that one night you go to a car lot, nobody's there. You break into a car and you drive the car off the car lot. You have stolen a car. Well, there wasn't anybody there, but one thing you didn't know was there was a camera watching you. And within minutes, the police are behind you. Blue light's going. They pull you over. You're put in jail. You come before the judge and you are dead to rights. They got video evidence. They got your mama is there testifying again. Yep, that's my son. That's him on camera. He stole that car. I know he did it. What are you going to ask for? Are you going to ask for justice? Because what's justice? Justice is getting what you deserve. So you're not going to say, Your Honor, I deserve justice or I demand justice. No, because justice would be lock him up and throw away the key. What do you ask for? You ask for mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. Mercy is where you say, God, or your honor, I understand that I'm guilty. I did it. I just I don't know what I was thinking. I promise I'll never do it again. I don't want justice. Would you give me mercy? Would you treat me not like I deserve to be treated? And then the third word, grace. And that's where you get something you don't deserve. Now, this would never happen in this life. (laughs) But it would be like your honor saying you are guilty, but here's your sentence. Your car is yours. That's getting something you don't deserve. Well, we're going to look at those principles throughout this passage this morning. As we see, first of all, the millennial reign. Follow with me along through these first six verses of chapter 20. John speaking. Then I saw, and for those of you that have been following along in Revelation, we hear this a lot. New vision. Here's something he sees. Kind of chronological order from what he's just witnessed now. Okay. Armageddon's happened. Satan's been defeated, the uh, Antichrist and the false prophet have been cast into the abyss. And now here's what he sees. An angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed after these things he must be released for a short time then i saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them and i saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of jesus and because of the word of god and those who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand and they came to life and reigned with christ for a thousand years the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these things, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So what's the first thing that Jesus does is he comes to set up his earthly kingdom, this millennial reign. First thing he does is he gets rid of the chief rebel satan and so john sees this angel now if you remember early in revelation the angel had come down with a key and had unlocked the abyss and allowed some of those demons to come out of the abyss in fact all of them came out except the ones from genesis that were cast there and they can't ever come out they're going to be transferred immediately to the lake of fire they don't get out but the demons come out and they come out to accomplish god's purpose he's allowing this to happen well now he comes back with that same key He's about to lock it up again, but he's also bringing a chain because he is going to bind the enemy for a thousand years. He binds Satan. In fact, it's interesting that we we see like all four words to describe Satan. First of all, he's called a dragon. The word literally means a fabulous serpent. But he's also called the serpent of old. What's he talking about? The serpent of old. If you go back to Genesis, when Adam and Eve are in the garden and the serpent slithers up or actually walks up to Eve and convinces her to eat of this fruit that they've been commanded not to eat of, and then she turns to Adam, who was right there, and he eats of it as well, and God curses the, the dragon, the serpent. says, from now on, you're going to slither on your belly, which indicates before that he wasn't doing that. I had a conversation with somebody a couple weeks ago that said, I'm afraid of snakes. I said, you know, I don't like snakes either. I think it's biblical. We're not supposed to like them. They're snakes, okay? So quit playing with snakes. But anyway, be careful. So he's called the the dragon. He's called the serpent of old. He's also called the devil, which literally means a slanderer or malicious gossip. What does the devil love to do about you? He loves to tell lies about you. He would love to come into God's presence and say, you shouldn't love him. You shouldn't love her because they don't deserve it. You know what God says? You're right. They don't deserve it. I love them anyway. So he's called the devil. Then he's also called Satan, which literally means adversary or accuser. We know that he's the, the accuser of the brethren. He accuses man before God. He accuses God before man. And he even accuses man between men. That's Satan's mode of operation. But what happens in chapter 20 of Revelation is he is bound, he sees. They grab a hold of him. This one who we look at sometimes and get the heebie jeebies because we're so afraid of him, one angel comes takes hold of him cast him into the abyss and by the way the abyss the literal meaning is depthless this bottomless pit so he's cast there and he's chained up kind of the image is of the old prisons back even in the first century would be you'd be chained literally to a wall inside of a shut gate and so he is cast into this abyss for a thousand years now i want to say this from the outset. This passage, chapter twenty, is like many in Revelation that are highly debated, okay, controversial. If you've heard people kind of the two big controversies of Revelation, or two of the biggest controversies about Revelation, is are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? Are you pre-mill, amill, mill post-mill, pan-millennial? That's what I've been all my life. Pan-millennial means just going to pan out in the end. It's like it doesn't matter if I figure it out. It's going to happen the way God wants it to happen, and I'm not complaining when it happens, all right? But a lot of people say, well, this thousand years is not uh, a literal thousand years. And I don't know where you stand on that. Here's where I stand on that. I think there's sometimes where there's figures of speech in Scripture, but it says a thousand six times in this passage. So I take it to mean it's a thousand years. I, I don't have sense enough to get any smarter than that. It's just that's what the Bible says, it's what I believe, a thousand years. And what's happening during this thousand years is that Satan is bound. The Antichrist and the false prophets are, are already in the abyss. And that's where Satan is. And for a thousand years, there's this earthly reign. And we're going to get to something else controversial in a minute. But he throws him into the abyss. And if that's not good enough, he shuts it and seals it. Literally shuts it with the key and seals it literally with one of those signets for security and safety It's been sealed. Satan's not getting out until when? Until God says so. And it says after a thousand years, he must be released for a short time. It's part of God's plan that he'll be released at the very end of the thousand years. And after that, he's not going back to the abyss. He's going to the lake of fire. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Big difference between the abyss and the lake, lake of fire. So what's happening during these thousand years then? He says, I saw the thrones and they that sat on them. Well, who's sitting on the thrones? Again, controversial. I believe he's talking about the saints. Why do I believe that? First Corinthians chapter six, verse two. And there's other passages. I'm just showing you one. Jot this down. Here's what Paul said. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is to be judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts?" Here's what Paul is saying, and here's what's said throughout the New Testament. The saints are going to reign, are going to rule with Christ during this 1,000 years. Now, that's controversial. Not everybody believes that. And I'm okay with that. If we're off on that, it's okay. You're not going to miss heaven by missing that. I'm not going to miss heaven if I'm wrong on that, all right? But that's just what I believe Scripture teaches, is that those thrones that he sees are of the saints. They're the ones that are alive during the great millennium who are the dead when you see the word dead and it occurs a lot in this passage these 15 verses the word dead are those who have not trusted christ as their lord and savior they are dead they're going to be they're going to have to come back at the end of the millennium and stand before the great white throne judgment but when you see the word dead it's not just talking about people who died it means people who died apart from christ they're not just physically dead they're the spiritually dead so those of your loved ones that have died and gone on to be with the Lord, what's going to happen to them in the millennium? They're going to be alive again, and they're going to be reigning with Christ during the millennium. And he saw the souls of the beheaded because of their testimony, because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast of the image or received the mark, they came to life and reigned with Christ. And then what happened to the rest of the dead? They didn't come to life for a thousand years. Years, this is the first resurrection here's what he said blessed and holy are those who have a part in the first resurrection who's he talking about he's talking about the children of god he's talking about the saints and that's what i call those who trusted christ as their lord and savior you don't go to heaven to become an angel by the way i've mentioned this a few weeks ago some people think you know when you die no the angels were created there's millions of them but there's not any more of them you're not going to heaven to be an angel you're going to heaven to be a saint in fact, you are a saint the day you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's how Paul describes us in his writings in the New Testament. So the saints are those who are blessed and holy, and death has no power over them. Let that sink in for a minute. As a child of God, it is very likely that as a follower of Christ, I will die once. But death doesn't have power over me. Why? Why? Because I'm not going to stay dead forever. And I'm not going to be cast into the lake of fire. Where am I going to be? I'm going to be in the presence of God in heaven forever. So death has no power anymore. Has no privilege or influence anymore over the believer. But instead they will be priests and will reign with him. So that's the millennium. Now all of that talk about the millennium and it really only occupies a couple of verses. Six verses of chapter 20 of Revelation. And yet that has divided people and denominations and all that for a couple thousand years. Now we get to the doom of the enemy. Look what happens next in verse 7. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to, to to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever. Again, not a pretty picture, but as a believer, this is actually good news. Because what's happening? What God has promised was going to happen is happening throughout Revelation. And now we get to chapter 20, when the thousand years is over. So for a thousand years, God has reigned. Satan has not been active. Population has grown. People are having children. Okay? For a thousand years. Think about that. Satan's off the planet. We're, we're looking at a virtual utopia in a sense. And yet, apparently, sin still exists. Because it hasn't yet been defeated. It's going to be. But here's what happens when Satan comes out of his prison. He comes out to deceive the nation. Can you believe that after a thousand years without the devil deceiving anybody, there's still going to be people who love their sin more than they love God. And they're able to be deceived. That's one of the chief words for Satan. The word deceive means to cause to roam from safety or the truth. So he literally had the opportunity to get people off the path to God and deceive them now is he going to deceive christians no he's going to deceive those who haven't trusted christ as their lord and savior and that will happen during the thousand years there'll be people born during the thousand year reign to godly parents who they themselves don't trust christ as their lord and savior so satan comes out and he draws people from the four four corners of the earth so literally that doesn't mean that john viewed the earth as flat and it had four corners a lot like a map on a flat table in fact, the Old Testament talks about the fact the earth is a sphere. Before man figured out what was round, God already knew it was round, right? And so when it says the four corners, it simply means the compass points. It means from the north, the south, the east, and the west, they're going to gather their troops again. Now, hadn't they already done this one time? Yeah, they gathered them together, went through all their military preparations, got all their armaments together, and the battle was over about like that. Well, the same thing's about to happen. He gathers them together. He gathers Gog and Magog. Who in the world is Gog? His name's the same backwards, you know, <laughs> Gog. And then there's Gog and Magog. Well, Gog is mentioned back in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. Just jot that down. And in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, he's talking about the Antichrist, or he's talking about those opposed to Christ. God is, Gog is more of a person. Magog is more of a nation. And so he gathers this person that's against Christ, and he gathers the nations which are against Christ. And the number was like the sand on the seashore. Now, if somebody would do this for me, this afternoon, I need a volunteer that will go out and count the sand just from the surfside pier to the Garden City Pier. Anybody could anybody it would help me in my illustration. Nobody wants to do that. Why? Because it would take all day. No, it would take a lot longer than that. That may take a thousand years. You know, because somebody's going to walk up and start talking to you, you're going to lose your place. Man, I I was up to like four million and I lost my place. What's he saying? Basically, there's millions of people that have been born during this thousand years. And yet some of them, and apparently millions of them, are going to go to battle. Satan's going to be released to deceive and there's going to be people for him to deceive and these people are going to buy his lie again hook line and sinker and they're going to gather in fact they're going to sneak up on the camp of god in the holy city jerusalem is the city that he's talking about but obviously there's more people that are going to fit within the walls of the small city but this is jerusalem and the the camp of god they're going to circle i think they're going to have them surrounded and what's going to happen not one single shot has to be fired. The people in the camp doesn't have to fear and think, "Oh, what are we going? To, where's our, where's our military armament?" Because what's going to happen? Fire is going to come down from heaven and devour them. This great army again that comes against God's people are going to be devoured, literally to be eaten up. And then the devil who had deceived those, is going to be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever. Now, folks, that's not a pretty picture, but I want you to get this. The picture of hell is a picture that is a lake of fire and brimstone. The word brimstone means sulfur, but it's forever and ever. There's some people, because it makes them uncomfortable to think about hell, just think, well, we're annihilated. If you don't trust Christ, you're annihilated. I don't see that taught anywhere in Scripture. Because guess who's going to join the beast and the dragon and the false prophet? Who's going to join Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet? You're going to find that out in the next section. But it's those who've rejected Christ. And they're not annihilated. They spend eternity separated from God in this lake of fire that burns forever and ever. Let's get to some better news. (laughs) Because that doesn't apply to us, right? If you're you're a child of God, it doesn't apply to you. And if you're not a child of God, come to Christ today. Well, my last point is the books are open. And we see John one more time say, Then I saw. Now again, I, I step back and I think about John. John was instructed in the first chapter to write everything you see. I mean, he's got writer's cramp by now for sure, okay? I mean, this has got to be phenomenal that he has written all this stuff. And folks, so often what he sees is something like he's never seen before. So he has to say, the best way I can describe it is to tell you it's like this. So John, faithful to his task, is writing down. And here's what he says he wrote down. Here's what he sees next. He sees the great white throne. Let me read this passage following in 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne of him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So these books are opened up. And I want you to catch this. There's two different books. One is plural. There's books. What are in these books? These books cover the deeds of everybody are in these books. Every thought, every action, every Everything you did, meant to do, thought about, everything's in these books. Then there's a book. And that's the book of life. So let's contrast. Let's talk about these two books. Him who sat on the throne. Who is it that's sitting on the throne? Up to this point, it has been God the Father sitting on the throne. But who is the ultimate judge? It's Jesus. Let me share just a few verses if you want to jot these down. John Chapter 5, verse 22 says, For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son. Acts 10, 42. And He ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. I think some people think you're going to get to heaven and there's going to be this courtroom scene and you're going to be sitting at a table and over here is the prosecuting attorney and over here is the defense attorney and the defense attorney is Jesus. The only way he's your defense attorney is if you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior. Because the scene in heaven before this great, great white throne is he's the judge and there is no defense attorney. You're going to be the prosecutor because you're prosecuting yourself based on the deeds of your life. And it says, from the presence, earth and heaven fled away. That's one little line, but what is it talking about? Earth at this point now and heaven at this point are gone. Now, it doesn't occupy a lot of space in in the Bible, in Revelation anyway, but in the next chapter, we're going to see the new heaven and the new earth descending. So where do we read about this heaven and earth being done away? In 2 Peter chapter 3. I don't think I have these verses for you, but just jot down. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 13. Here's the way Peter described it, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things will be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? but according to his promise we're looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells so john sees the great throne and he knows that judgment's going to take place at that throne but even at the appearance of jesus at this moment the earth melts away and the heavens what you look up into and see the heavens the sky it's all gone and now the books are open in fact literally it's it's the word it's a plural word so it's multiple books but it's not the books like this book it's scrolls it, it literally means a roll so the rolls are opened and what's in the books well this book has every thought every word every deed of every person and then there's another book one book what's in that the name of those who've trusted Christ the names of the saints Are in that book. Or in that role. Now I don't know what that's going to look like. Are they going to unroll that? You know I kind of have this visual image of you know. St. Peter putting on his little readers. And okay. Tommy. Tommy. you're Okay I see you. No it's not. I don't think it's going to be that way. I think it's going to be because your names are written there. They know your names are written there. And that's what you're judged on. The folks whose names are not in that book. Are going to be judged on every thought. Word and deed. And just in case you're thinking. Well, okay, I'm, I've done pretty well. How many sins does it take to make you a sinner? One. I've done this math for people before. Let's just say there's three times a day that you think the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, or do the wrong thing. Just three times a day. How many days in a year? 365. Let's round up, round down. About a thousand sins if you do three a day. And, and I'm giving you credit, okay? Some of you are breaking the curve. But all right, let's just say three times a day. You think the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, or do the wrong thing. So that's a thousand in a year. Let's say you live 70 years. 80 years, 90 years, 100 years. Are you going to face God with 70,000 sins or 100,000 sins and say, okay, put it all on the scale. Let's see how it balances out. In every instance, here's what it's going to look like. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right? Has anybody ever lived a perfect life? Didn't sin. One person. Who is that? Jesus. Anybody else? No. In case you're about ready to raise your hand, I'll stop you from being embarrassed. No. (laughs) But here's the problem. Those folks are going to be judged not on the book because their name's not in there. They're going to be judged on the books. And their name's in there. And all of their deeds are in there, everything they've ever done, everything they've ever said, and everything they've ever thought. And those books are opened, and they're judged according to their deeds. Why is that? The judgment is because God is righteous, and somebody has to pay for sin. Somebody had to pay for sin, even your sins. I can't open your book today, but I wouldn't want mine open. If you open my book that has everything I've ever done wrong in it, it's it's volumes. Why am I not judged on that? Is that fair? No, it's not fair. (laughs) What am I asking for? I'm not asking for justice. I'm asking for mercy. And that's what I was given at the cross. When I came to faith in Jesus Christ, I was given mercy and grace. And can I say this? I was also given justice. Why? I don't want you to miss this. I think sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I don't don't get justice. No, you get justice. Your sin had to be paid for. Who paid for it? Jesus. That's the difference in the people whose names are written in the book of life. Their sins have been paid for by Jesus. So justice is still served. It's not that God looks at your sin and ignores it. No, He hates sin. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. That's why when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, He said, Father, if there's any other way. Why? Because He was about to take upon Himself the sin of the world. And He went to the cross and paid the penalty. So what's the difference between the names over here in the books and over here? The difference is Jesus. The one on the throne. Who's judging us at that moment. We're judged based on our name being written in the book. Because their names aren't written in the book, they're judged based on their deeds. Folks, nobody (laughs) wants to face God on that basis. In fact, nobody can because once they do, they're judged according to their deeds, every one of them. And then look what happens. Look at what gets thrown into the lake of fire. First of all, death is thrown into the lake of fire. What does that mean? From this point on, there's no more death. No more death. Even the people in the lake of fire don't die after this. They live forever in eternity in the lake of fire. But what about us? What about 10,000 years in heaven? Well, first of all, it's going to be hard to keep up with 10,000 years. Why? Because they don't have calendars and clocks. And you're not going to be able to take, you know, like the sun. Why? Because it's daylight all the time. The gates of heaven never close because they only close at night and there's no night in heaven. But there's no sun either. You know why? Because God is the light in heaven. We'll look at that in upcoming chapters. But here's what I want you to see as we close. This courtroom scene. There's a prosecutor. Unfortunately, you're it if you don't know Christ. You're prosecuted by your own actions. There's no rebuttal or cross-examination. There's no, uh, the sentence is eternal. There's no parole or escape. In fact, we see Jesus talk about this in Matthew chapter 7. When he's talking about separating sheep from goats. And he's saying, people are even going to say, well, wait a minute, didn't I call you Lord, Lord? You remember what Jesus says? Depart from me. Why? For I never knew you. You never came to faith in Jesus Christ. Matthew 7, I never knew you. And the ones who were thrown into the lake of fire, what happened? They were deceived by the enemy. They never thought they would die. Satan's been telling that lie since Genesis. You remember when he talks to Eve, what does he say to her? Has God told you you shouldn't eat of any trees in the garden? Did God say that? No. She said, No, he told us we couldn't eat we we could eat of any trees of the garden. We just can't eat of the one in the middle of the garden. And he said, What's gonna happen if you do that? Well, God told us in the day we eat of that we will surely die. You remember what Satan says? You will not die. And Folks, that's what Satan's lie has been ever since then, and that's what his lie will be after a thousand years of the millennial reign of Christ on earth. He comes back and he will still deceive some who aren't children of God because he's telling the same lie. You're not going to die. Folks, the truth is all of us will face death unless Jesus returns today or in the next few years This body is going to go back to dust. That's the first death. As a child of God, I don't have to worry about the second one, which is cast with death into the lake of fire. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you. Lord, as as sobering as this word is, and God, I, I confess, there's been periods during this study of Revelation where it's, The circumstances obviously are desperate and dire. And yet, Lord, there's good news in it. And that is you've fulfilled your promise. Just like you said to the thief on the cross when you said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Father, the good news is we look forward to that day for us. One day we will be with you forever. And Lord, I'm glad it's not based on my deeds because I wouldn't get there on that basis. So thank you for your mercy and your grace. And Lord, the justice of Jesus paying the penalty for my sin. So God, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. God, for others that are here and they know that, then Lord, I pray they don't leave with their head down today. We leave with our head up because we know the end of the story. Jesus wins and we're on his team. God, thank you for that truth. Go with us now as we leave this place. God, may we share the good news with others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Invite you to stand.